Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Story Smack. Hello, my name is A. Kovacs, and I'm a founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And I am Scott Sigler, New York Times bestselling novelist, and I am the most expensive Scott Sigler ever made. Yes. Wait a minute. There's a Scott Sigler in Texas who's, uh, I think, a gastroenterologist. The the diaper doctor? Yeah. He's a gastroenterologist, isn't he? I believe I cost, my budget was far more than his. He may be more profitable. He may be more profitable, but I, I cost think, more to like, make. His college might have cost more, kind of thing. You do, you forget that I went to train on the dark side of the moon I in did the dark arts that. of mooniness. Mooniness. Okay, yes. it's so, like ninjutsu, but without the swords. Thank you all for joining us for episode nine of Story Smack, the podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. Today, we're taking a look at the top nine most expensive movies of 2016. We were going to do the top 10 Mm -hmm, list, mm -hmm. but screw it. We found nine on a list that also included a 2015 movie for no particular reason, so we left that out. In today's episode, we find out the age-old question. If you spend a ton of cash, does that mean you make a ton of cash? I believe it is true because, as they say, you gotta spend money to make money. Yeah, they say a whole bunch of things, but that doesn't necessarily. You don't mean trust them. Know. You don't trust the veracity of they. I, the only them I trust are the them I quote. The the. <laughs> 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 when you say when you say the quotes, they're very valid. <laughs> yeah, right. They're very. Val- I say them emphatically though, so that helps. Oh, I see. <laughs> 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 I should take I should take a note from your playbook because I never say things emphatically that aren't entirely true. Okay, but before we do that, I would like to talk a little bit about uh, what's coming up on future episodes of Story Snack because okay. people are starting to follow along, which I think is super fun. It's great. Uh, next week, Friday, February 10th, we're talking John Wick because we're off to the theater that same day yes. to watch John Wick 2. The second chapter. I can't wait. I wonder if he's going to kill anybody. I actually have like, the body counts like 14 on the previews alone. Uh, Dr. Sigler? Yes. They say he kills a lot of people. Uh, on February 17th, we will most excellently be celebrating the 25th anniversary of Wayne's World. With cream of some young guy. And on February 25th, we're ranking all the Wolverine movies. And on March 3rd, what is it, Sigler? I'm getting too old for this shit. (laughs) Yeah. The 30th anniversary of Lethal Weapon. Did you you say 30th anniversary? Yes. Yes, I did. I'm really getting too old for this shit. Yeah, I know. That was three decades ago. I know. And not only that, we think we're hip and cool and with it and relevant to Uh say we're getting too old for this shit. Yeah. Like 90% of the people listening to the show are like, why did you make that funny voice, Mr. (laughs) Sigler? I know. Hey, Grandpa Sigler, do you have any candy for us? Never, 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 never take candy from Scott (laughs) Sigler. Never take candy from Scott Sigler. I will say, uh, I have to add this though. Uh, That is March 3rd, four days later. Book three of the Generations trilogy comes out. I it's know, I'm really excited. Alone, if you have not listened to or read the Generations trilogy in ebook or in print, you are a doofus—the kind of person who gets to hang out on the bright side of the moon, not the dark side, with the rest of us moonies. And you should check that out. 
But there's still time. You you have time there's before still time. March 7th yes. to, to catch up. You can get book one over at scottsigler.com slash alive. And you can also win a galley of book three alone uh, by this Goodreads contest, which is going on, which is at scottsigler.com slash contest. Go there. It'll direct you to the Goodreads page and you can win it. And that is only for U.S. Uh, yes. citizens. And that is something we also hate, but have absolutely no control over. Uh, when we do a contest for a book that belongs to us, we do it worldwide. But, um, you know, Random House U.S. is different than Random House X U.S. and we don't control that. Correct. So we don't control we that. We think it stinks too, but it's U.S. only. So it is not. Uh, it is not nationalist tendencies we are showing by not giving the book away to no, people. I from mean, all if it's empty set, we always do a worldwide. Yeah. Every contest empty set has is worldwide. Because we're global citizens. We are. Yes. So, Mr. Sigler, let us. T- oh, Doctor Sigler, yes. I keep forgetting. Yes. Uh, let us talk about the ten most expensive. Well, nine most expensive movies of 2016. Let's do that. I-, I am glad you're referring to me as Doctor. I didn't go to 14 years of evil medical no, school you didn't. to be called Mr. <laughs> First though, ma'am, did you know that two of the movies on this list were so damn expensive, they made it out of the list of the top 10 most expensive films of all time, adjusted for inflation? Did you know no, that? No, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, it's freaking expensive as hell. So we're going to rattle off the nine most expensive flicks all time of this up ep- uh, At the end of this episode, we'll rattle off the 10 most expensive flicks of all time. But first, the nine most expensive of 2016. So we were talking about this before the show, and A mentioned, eh, it's a long list of information. This might be a little dry. So we're going to kind of we're gonna kind of zip through it. And any, any, any crazy things you want to mention during this, go crazy. Yeah, and I think, you know, the one thing that's interesting about this as a, a piece of anecdotal information is uh, – We've only seen two of the top only two. ten yeah. or top nine most. And we're seeing. I feel well now with Story Smack, we're seeing pretty much a movie a week. I know, but a lot of those are DVDs, so those are yeah, almost true. assuredly not coming out in the same year. So anyway, so um, this list comes courtesy of WorldsTopMost.com. A, why don't you kick us off at number nine, spending one hundred sixty million dollars? Warcraft. It's based on the World of Warcraft game. It was considered a bomb in the U.S., which is not uncommon on mm-hmm. Story Smack. We talk about this a lot. Yeah. And a bomb in the U.S. where it only grossed $47 million, so it didn't even make back half its budget. Mm-hmm. But worldwide, it went on to gross $433 million. And uh, uh, over at RottenTomatoes.com, the tomato meter, not kind, not kind. From critics, 28%, but 74% 74 What a huge, that's the biggest margin of difference in the rest of the movies we're going to talk about. 28% from the critics, 74%. And you look at 74% from the fans, it winds up making $433 million, clearly profitable. There will clearly be more of these movies. Uh, that's just the, that's the way things go. Well, yeah. And I think things are come and go with the, with, uh, the economy and inflation or depression as well. I mm-hmm. think that that's, we're in an upswing right now and, or at least we were in 2016. And that's one of the things that, you know, a lot of people complain about the tomato meter. I figure me personally, I figure I have a set point that I like. If I see like, if it's a 99% fresh, I'll watch it. Uh-huh. If it's a 20% with critics and it's over 75%, I'll maybe give it a shot, uh, 75% with fans, because fans don't have any entry uh, fe- uh, gate for require, uh, gate requirement to get in. You can be seven years old and love the Warcraft movie. Right. Don't need to know anything about movies, don't need to know anything about plot, don't need to know anything except you got to go to the movies with your mom, and I'm, you loved it. I'm pretty much of the opinion that if it's, 
74, 75% or higher with the fans and it's an action related movie, that's going to be a pretty good flick, I think. But it's uh, it's just an ad hoc thing. We may study Yeah, I mean, that later. I think everybody has a, has a preference. At number eight, with a budget of $165 million, Independence Day Resurgence. So this is the sequel to the sci-fi blockbuster Independence Day from 1996. Took them 10 years to make a sequel for a really, really successful movie. Um, this was another domestic bomb, earning only $103 million here, but another $387 million overseas, resulting in a whopping $487 million, no, $490 million box office. This one, only a 31% on the tomato tomato critics meter and a 32% from the fans. That's what, that's exactly it's, what we were just talking about. That uh, has this to. has to be a stinker. But here's the thing. Here's what's crazy about, I don't know, humanity or my humanity. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. I loved Independence Day and, you know, you were influenced by who you are at the time you see it. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, younger than I am now, more idealistic than I am, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. I want to see this even this minute, I, I do. Like my logical brain is saying, like, no, we no. sort of have to. No, you don't. No, you don't have to see it. Eh? You don't trust me. You never trust me. But it's important. You shouldn't have worn those high heels, and you shouldn't see this movie. But my emotional brain is like, I mean, how bad could it be? Well, it's we know it's it's we know it's going to be bad. We almost have to watch it anyways because Jeff Goldblum's in it and Bill Pullman's in it. Yeah, uh, Randy Quaid, of course, is toast. Unless they, who knows, they might bring him back. It's impossible to tell. So at number seven, then shelling out a budget of one hundred seventy million dollars, Alice Through the Looking Glass. This one appears to be a bomb by any standard. <laughs> this is not one I need to see. Uh, it made $77 million domestic and another $200 million overseas for a total of $277 million. But since normally, as we mentioned on Story Smack before, you double the film's budget to account for advertising, that means it lost about $70 million. Now think about that. If I lived my life the way I live my life right now... Mm-hmm. Straight balling all the time. Well, right. I mean, obviously... This sort of I I couldn't spend and I and I lived with the same type of lifestyle. Oh yeah, I I don't I couldn't spend seventy million dollars you, before have to I live die. Like five hundred years probably. Well, even if I all my I think about it like if my parents the lifestyle they're accustomed to and my brother and uh-huh. you like I couldn't spend seventy million dollars on your behalf either. I yeah. don't think it's crazy. That's a yeah. lot of money. So it's and, a know, lot of hookers and blow is what right. I'm saying. A Entertainment lot. is super important. Yeah, so. it's really important. Anyway, uh, to follow up on on Rotten Tomatoes, it was thirty percent from the critics and fifty two percent from tomato uh, from fans. I think the thing that skews the tomato fan meter is movies. Oh, there's the dogs there's upstairs. The goddamn dogs upstairs. Hello, dogs upstairs. Welcome to Story Smack. Is it's the I think it's the early teen viewers because when you're in your you know when you're twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, I think you because that's awesome. Going to the movies was awesome back then. I don't know what the kids think these days, but you go to the theater, you get to see the stuff early, and uh, and they have a different when you're at that age, you have a different parameter for what you find enjoyable. That's what I was saying earlier. That's and, and the other thing that that happens today with teens and preteens today that didn't happen for you and I because we're dinosaurs is they have access to the internet and that's part of their communication standard. Mm -hmm. That that is, that is. At number six, a little blue juggernaut, and we're not talking about Viagra, Hmm. with a budget of $175 million, the genuine blockbuster by any definition, Finding Dory. Yay! It earned $4.5 
$486 million in the U.S. alone and another $536 million internationally. That means the little fish who could hauled in $1 billion in theaters before we even get to DVDs and, mm-hmm. and streaming and anything like that. The critics loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they gave it a 94%. So they're kissing that little blue fish's ass all day long. And Does the little blue fish have an ass? Fishes have asses. Do they? Oh, that's a good point. They've Regardless. got a butt. They got a butthole, but we don't know if they have an ass. And welcome See, to the highly intellectual yes. stories, Mac, ladies and yes. gentlemen. Yes, welcome to anything related to me, Scott Ziegler. We're going to wind up talking about buttholes at some point. It's a good thing you're the most expensive, <laughs> Scott Ziegler. <laughs> it's a good thing. The tomato fans ranked it at eighty-seven percent, so both up well over eighty percent. Uh, I. It's one of those things. I look down my nose at it right now, right off the bat. I haven't seen it, but I'm like, whatever, Finding Dory. I know that if we fire that thing up some streaming afternoon, I'm going to friggin' love it. That's just the thing. And here's one of the ways you can tell. If you know, if you were a parent of a young child, if you know a parent of a, le- a young child, they know 500 different comic or um, cartoons mm-hmm. or videos or whatever web series, things like that, that their children watch that we will never hear about. Right. They know verbatim every episode. Yeah. That's not this. This appealed to every generation because nobody goes to the movies more than once to see Finding Dory for their kid unless they enjoy it at some level as well. And that's what these, the animated movies of the past 20 years have done such an amazing job with. I believe Shrek was the the pi- uh, the pilot of this, if I remember correctly. which or is Toy Story, maybe. Or Toy Story. Yeah. We're writing a movie that is superficially accessible to kids who don't have a broad life experience and love the the colors and the voices and the action and all mm-hmm. this fun. But then there is a, a subtext to it and, you know, reading between the lines and subtly delivered lines where only an adult is going to get it. Shrek's I the wonder, one I look at and I'm like, no kid's going to get that. And that was hysterical. Yeah. And I wonder, you, I, I can't remember the chronology of any of these, but uh, there's some of that in Toy Story. There's mm-hmm. absolutely a ton of that in Aladdin. Okay. And I don't know where Aladdin came from, but I, that would be an interesting uh, uh, little wander down memory lane, I think. So at number five, another animated movie, uh, The Jungle Book. Cost, I think this might have been live action. Yes, animated. motion cap. Yeah, motion yeah. cap. But I'm still counting anything that's not people as animation. Uh, well, but I think this might have been people. I didn't see it. I think well, it for example, some of both. Oh, okay, that's a good point. But the animals voicing, those are motion cap animals. But go right. ahead. Uh, $176 million to make. It was a gigantic hit. It made $346 million domestically and $600 million internationally. It almost broke the billion dollar mark, owning, uh, earning $963 million in theaters. And... This makes me super happy. It was a critical darling for director Jon Favreau, earning 95% from tomato critics and 87% from fans. And what's so interesting about Jon Favreau is if you look him up on IMDb, Mm -hmm. he's an everyman. He's a renaissance man. He did this movie. He's written he's been an he was an actor in swingers he's yep. been a director of all sorts of things he's he does all Didn't he sorts write of swingers too partially wrote sp- partially wrote or maybe he wrote the whole thing maybe you're right yeah, I think and he made. Wrote the whole thing and made like that's we that's a great one that's uh as far as how do you make a feature movie with no money and no resources or very little money and resources and reading about what they did for the various scenes in swingers is mm-hmm. awesome like mm-hmm. they just wandered in a bar at one point can we shoot here and they would just shoot a scene yeah um, it, it's, it's pretty cool, but yes. And he did, was, was he Avengers too? Is that the first Avengers he did? No, he uh, did Iron Man. He did Iron Man. And, and yeah, like you say, he's a Renaissance man. And now he's sort of, 
faded. He's not. Uh, he's not a big name. He's not like you say the the name John Favreau. It's not like saying Joss Whedon, for example. Or- no, but that's what's so interesting about it because Joss Whedon, you know, as a writer, and Joss Whedon is smart enough to to make great characters and and hire great producers and directing partners. You know, mm-hmm. uh, John Favreau, I think, just chases that paper as 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 they say. Well, he. F- fucking found it with this one that's yeah. for damn sure he does what Almost makes him happy dollars. and makes him money and and the other thing about it is i bet he could walk down the street in new york or la and some people would recognize him um, but not everybody would recognize him. i don't know i would recognize him in the job he's well, very sure, distinctive looking man i bet joss whedon could probably walk right by me if he was wearing a hat okay yes but if he had that that beautiful bald dome of his i would recognize him at number four Speaking of beautiful bald domes, you like that segue? You mm-hmm. like that? It's pretty do. good, I right? Do. I like it. Uh, number four, it at $187 million to make X-Men Apocalypse. Now, mm-hmm. this is one of the most profitable movie sequel series of all time. Sequels get the big bucks, as we will see with the rest of this list. Um, Apocalypse was just barely a bomb domestically, bringing in $155 million. Internationally, though, it grabbed $387 million. That means... This thing grossed five forty-two million worldwide. Definitely a winner. Although I didn't see it because I'm sick and tired of the X-Men movies. I think they're getting bad. The critics shat all over this. They use their critical buttholes to shat all over it with a forty-eight percent tomato meter rating, but a sixty-nine percent from the tomato fans. Yeah, see, I'm not in for a sixty-nine. Like if it can't break, if it can't break seventy-five on one of those two. Oh, I see. For me, that's going to be a hard sell. That's a very flexible parameter by which determining whether you want to go see a flick or not. I like this. Well, and but you know, movies are so subjective. I do find it interesting that you're like it just barely was a bomb according to the rules yeah, according here, to the and it's twenty-three million dollars we're talking about. Twenty-three million dollars. Okay, so um, at entry number three, the first movie on this list that we have both seen, <laughs> that either one of us have seen actually. Yeah. yeah. Which is Star Wars The Force Awakens. It had a budget of $200 million. Uh, and, I mean, that's a that's a pretty big budget. That's a huge budget. Um, $200 million, more than the gross domestic product of Uzbekistan, wow. which is a whole country. That's a whole country. That's a whole, like a whole other country. Right. Yeah. And it's a sequel even. So I don't think that Uzbekistan is a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't get any uh, more blockier of a blockbuster no, than this. Uh, $900 $36 million in the domestic box office. So that's just America. Just America. Okay. In addition, not total, but if we, in addition, yeah, in addition the XUS, $1.1 billion. Holy shitballs. For a total theatrical only take of $2.1 billion. Oh my goodness. And it's interesting because one of the things that I think the Star Wars franchise has going for it is people love it. People hate it. Mm -hmm. Fewer people hate it than love it, obviously. But there's a huge healthy contingent of people who love to hate it. And they go, and they they won't miss it. Like the comic book guy from The Simpsons. They gotta go. They gotta go so they can shat all over it. Which, Which I think this is one of the things that George Lucas did so well. He's like, cool. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, 
It's vital for Piura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Piura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Like, come on. Okay. Okay. Uh, go, okay. Pay Who your, cares? Pay your money. You can say whatever the hell you want. <laughs> exactly. Come get some. I still have your money. You can say Although, whatever you want. it would be fun to see Lucas in a dirty parking lot with a baseball bat in one hand and the other hand curling in saying come get some you bastards come get some but that's just it like you've seen him a hundred times he's a papa bear he like he doesn't care at all like what he wants to do is make a good movie he has absolutely right. all the backup that he needs that this was a good decision and this was a good movie and a good franchise so he could give a hoot if comic book guy thinks like well i don't know about that i mean that I, that was so much so much like the first cantina scene i don't it was think- too much i know george lucas might actually talk like this and look like a papa bear however i think that he's probably carrying around a piece of iron that he took off of a sewing machine that he has filed down to a rusty shiv and he keeps it in his sock. Just um, in case anyone rushes him in the yard, he's ready. If there is anyone out there who is not familiar with Scott Sigler's storytelling style and hasn't read any of uh, his books or short stories, that's a good indication of how they go. <laughs> that little peek into Scott's brain is exactly... So it could be the happiest, like, this is a person who sells pretzels on the street corner at Disneyland Main Street, and in their shoe is a rusty shiv yeah. made from yeah. the... And a, and a balloon of a gram of heroin up his butt, because he's got to get through customs right. and stuff like that. Right. I do see we have down here that, uh, that $2.1 billion. 
That's more than the gross domestic product of South Korea. I think you shouldn't mention that. Why? Because I think maybe, you know, North Korea gets wind. that They're going to bomb us? Or Star Wars or something. <laughs> they don't bomb anybody. Yeah, yes, we will not tell them that. Uh, at number two, our entry blew its entire allowance from its parents <laughs> at $250 million. And that spendthrift lad, that just just a kid from Brooklyn is none other than Captain America Civil War. Yay, I, seen the, I saw we this one We did see too. this one. We saw this one. The latest Avenger tale from Marvel, uh, you could call it a Captain America sequel, an Avenger sequel. You probably got to call it both of those things. It was a big hit at home, brought in $408 million domestically and added $734 million abroad Oof. for a box office total of $1.15 billion. That ain't Dory money, right? That's right. not Dory money, but it sure ain't bad. Well, and, and it's Earthbound, so it's yeah. not Star Wars either. But that's it's not okay. Star Wars either. And everyone loved this flick. 90% from the Tomato Meter critics, 90% from the Tomato fans. Everyone loved it, except this guy. Tiny yeah. little tiny little comic book store worker, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> because that cray-cray plot completely fell apart at the end. And I'm, I'm now looking at these numbers being like, did we all see the same movie? Well, we had this discussion when, when we had both finally seen it, that I... I don't disagree that the plot went off the rails, yeah. but by the time it did, I didn't care. Yeah, there was so it much was goodness pretty, in it. pretty, and the, you know, the fight scene at the end is so... Um, it, I know you don't like the shaky cam, but this was kind of, for, for me, I don't mind the shaky cam as much as you do. It was a mixed bag. There was some, and then there was some straight up good choreography. Right, too. so I thought that was kind of a good mix. Right. Plus, they did a, a just the right amount of CGI magic for that fight scene mm. that made it you know, obviously not like, oh, good. I'm so glad they had such a big CGI budget. <laughs> I really, yeah, it looked great. It was super fun. It's exactly that like uh, tentpole summer blockbuster kind of a movie. They've done such a lights out job with casting in that. Like it's going to be hard to find a better Iron Man. Right, it's right. going to be it's going to be impossible to find a better Captain America than Chris Evans. Oh, that dude is just—they will eventually try. They will try. <laughs> they will try. But I mean, you think about—you got Scarlett Johansson as the Black Widow, mm-hmm. perfect, absolutely wonderful and perfect. Chris Evans is Captain America, uh, and uh, that will not be topped mm-hmm. ever. He mm-hmm. just—he he just—you would look at him like that's a good Captain America. Of course, who do we have playing Tony Stark? Uh, Robert Downey Jr. And that's never going to be topped in a million friggin' years. So right out of the gate with that, they've got some great ones. Now, this was the one with Black Panther, right? Mm-hmm. And as Black Panther, a new character to the Pantheon, Chadwick Boseman, who was like, as a comic book, comic book fan, like I can't even spit it out of my mouth right now. As a comic fan, I was like, that was lights out. So just with those people alone, you're like, I will watch any movie any of these people are in as these characters, anything that comes out. So right. right when you get to the end and it has completely, it has completely crapped the bed. You, you really don't like everybody doesn't care except me. I like well, the story. And then there's strong. that, um, the whole, we've talked about this before on story smack too, that the Marvel franchise kind of knows what they're doing. Yes. And they know how to even like Ant-Man, which wasn't as successful as some of the other movies that they've recently made. Still did made a, a shit ton of money. And, did a great job in this movie. Mm-hmm. They, you know, bring it all home, bringing it all back, shining everybody up. Rising tide raises all ships. I think it's yeah. smart. Yeah, the battle scenes were pretty spectacular. I mean, yeah. I th- and they, pro- you're right. They probably do outweigh the fact that the plot at the end was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, at number one, with a budget of two hundred fifty-six million dollars, 
And that's not counting advertising and marketing. Right. That's just straight budget. So it's, it's double that, right? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Another superhero sequel, Batman versus Superman. It made $330 million in the U.S., $537 million internationally for a total of $868 million. So everybody said it was a bomb. Yep. But technically it isn't. It wasn't at all. It made millions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, it didn't make like a billion dollars in profit, but it made millions of dollars of profit. Right. Even right, you double right. that budget. Yeah. Right. Uh, so it's an interesting thing. I think that, uh, you know, I th- certainly a lot of critics panned it, but, oh, yeah. but there are a lot of actual true blue superhero fans, DC fans who don't like it either. And yet absolutely certified yeah. hit for, I mean, for something from, uh, for fans of comic books in DC to give it a 64%, you're like, okay, that's, that's gotta be bad because people are just so delighted to see those characters on the screen that they'll, you know, it starts out at 50. A 50 is a zero, so to speak, because it's got that head start. And it got 27% from the critics. So, uh, you and know. And 68 from the fans. Yeah, that's a, fans. it's a rut. Like, everybody should have their, um, their sort of set point. Things that they like, things that they don't like, things that they're okay with. Um, but for me, like, that, I have a, a friend, we have a friend, Stephen, who is a huge Batman fan. Uh-huh. And I actually don't know what Stephen thought of this movie, but I think the only way that I would watch this is if Stephen said, you know, it's really worth it for X, Y, Z. I, uh, I have a friend from childhood, Rob, who is a still to this day, huge comic book geek, loving it. He literally Facebook posted, please, nobody go see this. It's so that it's that bad. So and they I, don't make another one. I know you want to see this on the screen, but I'm telling you, the only way we can convince them to make better movies is to vote with our wallet. Please don't see it. So you know it. you're getting you're getting that broad range. And I, I see that uh, we have 256 million. That's more. That's barely more than the entire gross domestic product of Ireland. Yeah. Like this is a this is a this is like a whole major country, Ireland. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, to wrap up, we were going to talk about the top. Uh, most expensive movies of all time. So I'm going to guess that the two most expensive films of 2016 are the ones that made it onto the all-time list. Correctamundo, Joni and Chachi. And quickly, I'm going to read that list for everybody. Remember, these are adjusted for inflation, okay? So we, we, we've taken into account all the major blockbusters back in your grandparents' day. The top 10 most expensive films to make of all time are King Kong, the 2005 version, $250 million. Uh, great looking King Kong. Awful movie. Yeah. Avatar 2009 cost $261 million. And What I'll, was that you were just saying? Looks great, but... Uh, yeah, oof. looks great, but but oof. Well, I'll get up my soapbox for Avatar. I remember when they were making this, and I, James Cameron's doing it. I got so excited. We're going to actually see aliens that look like aliens because mm-hmm. he has all the power in the world, and we got really tall Smurfs. Uh, that's not how evolution works, people. Waterworld, 1995, cost $271 million to make in today's money. Kevin Costner has gills. Kevin Costner does have gills. Uh, I will say, vastly underrated part of that movie, when he uses himself as bait to kill an 800-foot-long eel. That was awesome. <laughs> that's just freaking awesome. Um, and then, a real bomb, John Carter, 2012, $271 million to make. So basically tied just a little bit above Waterworld. We'll get into it. Then we have Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince from 2009, $275 million in today's money to make. Avengers Age of Ultron, 
2015, $280 million to make. This was the one that somehow wound up on the 2016 list, mm. which is why we only had nine movies, because it was number one for 2016, but it, was, it came out in 2015. Yeah, we're rebels. So screw that we do list. what we want. And number four, this one may surprise you. Oh, we should have led with this. We're doing a listicle. Number four will shock you. Number four, Tangled, 2010, $281 million to make. At number three, Spider-Man number three, a.k.a. Emo Spider-Man. That was 2007, $293 million to make. At number two, James Cameron, Titanic, back in 1997, $294 million in today's dollars to make. My heart will go on. And at number one, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, 2011. In today's dollars, $397 million just to make it. That is the most expensive film of all time, Adjusted for inflation. Which is crazy when you think about Titanic, they built an ocean. Like they built a gigantic metal tub to be the ocean. Mm -hmm. And that still wasn't the most. And they they built an almost full-size Titanic, which is still sitting on a beach in Mexico, rusting away. So even adjusted for inflation, there's nothing on that list older than 1995. Yeah, that's right. That's so, uh, that's Waterworld, right? Nothing older than yeah. Waterworld. Yeah. So that's so the last 20 years. Big, gigantic, expansive movies before that, like Cleopatra or Ben-Hur, didn't didn't even scratch the surface, didn't even get adjusted for inflation, didn't even get close. I know. And those are the cast of thousands. And like, we actually need to go back and watch, we should watch some of the, you know, the pre-1950 or pre-1960, the biggest movies ever until that era, because- now you do so much with CGI and so much multiple mm-hmm. sets. And back then that technology was not capable. If you want to show 10,000 oh, people, exist. it didn't exist. Right. Yeah. If you want to show 10,000 people on a battlefield, you put 10,000 people in Roman armor, gave them swords, you sent them out on a battlefield and you had to choreograph this huge, massive thing. There were like, there were set pieces that had tens of thousands of, of yeah, people. I mean, in there it. was, there were ways to kind of mimic. I don't think anybody ever put 10,000 people in a scene. We should ever. find that out. Yeah, we should. But I'm, I'm, fairly sure that didn't happen but you had even if you had thousands you had armies of people that you, you absolutely had to did you had hundreds for and, sure yeah. and direct and you had to move all these people around but that was the old phrase right a cast of thousands mm-hmm. was one of the marketing phrases back then and uh and you would think that human capital is usually the most expensive part of these things but not anymore i mean the cgi is where the money goes yeah well and and it depends i mean the just like every creative endeavor that ends up in the hands of consumers, there there are pieces that you don't see. Like mm-hmm. in our business, um, we have book designers whose job, the better job they do, the less you think they exist. You mm-hmm. only notice bad book design because... It's bad. Ascent, yeah, it's bad. Right. And, and the better it is, the more seamless it is, you don't see it. That same thing is true of costume designers, of continuity directors, mm-hmm. uh, of directors of photography who are managing time of day and the light so that scenes don't shift where the sun is in the sky, things like that. Right. The only time you see it is when it's terrible. Um, and I'll admit, I love the movies, but I'm a little bit of a techno- uh, technology snob. Mm-hmm. I have trouble in pre-method acting movies or and pre uh, movies that are all proscenium and set just. Um, stage sets sort of things where I can tell that's not an apartment in New York City in that Neil Simon movie. (laughs) That's a set made out of muslin. Mm -hmm. I'm not good with that. Uh, I I try, um, and some of it's okay, but like we recently, uh, one lunchtime we watched Citizen Kane just recently in the last couple of weeks. And uh, 
Citizen Kane, I think, is worth watching. It ends up on every every top 100 list ever, and it's important. It's hard. Some pieces of it are hard. Like, leaning out a window in New York City, and you're like, no, you're not. I'm pretty sure that's just canvas. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, nice, uh, nice, nice. What do they call that? The bald mask? What do they call that? To When you put a guy, take a guy with hair and you put the bald thing oh, over. Oh, the skull cap? Yeah. Nice, nice skull cap. Yeah. Nice skull cap, bro. Yeah. yeah. Don't raise your eyebrows too much, Orson but, Welles. Uh, I'm, I know we're almost finished this episode. There were some scenes in um, Citizen Kane where overall you watch it and you're like, oh, it's a little cringy in these standards. But then there are three or four scenes you watch and you're like, no, there's no question why this is yeah. such a why this always winds up in the top 100 list. This is amazing. Uh, the scene where he trashes the apartment. Mm-hmm. I mean, not there's. It's a good. I'm gonna guess it's a good two and a half, three minutes of just straight carnage, and he doesn't say a word, and he does all of the acting with his face and his body, mm. and he's wearing ridiculous prosthetics and the skull cap, and he looks ludicrous, and it's still you just you're absolutely blown away by the confused rage he shows. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing because some movies are worth remaking, and that's a, a conversation all to itself where mm. we are in an age of movie making where people want to go back, and now they have the technology and they have the. Um, the free range ability that maybe they didn't have at 20, 30 years ago, where the camera can come way up close or right. go way far away or whatever. And they want to remake things that are maybe worth remaking, but you don't do that. You tend to not do that with movies that are 50 years old or mm-hmm. 60 years old because the, so much was different. They're sort of museum pieces a little. Y- yes. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think Citizen Kane being made today would look and feel totally different. But I also think some of that magic and some of that dy- uh, dynamism wouldn't exist either. Because they did things in that movie that had never been done before, exactly. which is part of why people were so blown away by it. So it was a combination of technical proficiency and special effects that were uncommon for the day. And then the story itself. And now all you have left now is the story itself. And that's probably not going to carry it. Right. So that is our show for this week. If you have questions for Scott or for me, or if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on a future episode of Story Smack, email info at emptyset.com. We appreciate you guys uh, commenting on Twitter and on mm-hmm. uh, scottsigler.com during, uh, uh, on the posts and even on Facebook. But we don't often see those. The, e- the easiest way to get your request or question to us is actually to email info at emptyset.com. You can find us both online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram, and his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am a real girl on Twitter and a.real.girl on Instagram. You can find us online at scottsigler.com slash storiesmack. We would really love to see your comments there. And, as always, you can find us on iTunes, search for Scott Sigler Audiobooks, and subscribe. You will get a free episode of our ongoing audiobook every Sunday, and a big hit of Story Smack every Friday. And next week, I cannot be more excited about this. We are talking about the murder machine known as John Wick. And since this is a podcast about storytelling, ma'am, does someone killing a puppy actually count as proper character motivation for slaughtering multiple dozens of bad guys. I mean, I think so. I think so, too. We will be the judge of that because we have to see if they kill John Wick's goldfish this time and if he just goes fucking bug nuts crazy. But his wife did, spoiler alert, his dead wife didn't didn't give him goldfish. Didn't she? What if she did? This is the magic of movie writing, right? Mm. 
she said, you know You're what? You're saying retcon a uh, goldfish uh, into no, the story? It's just, no, it's just someone shows up at John Wick's door with a box. Hey, sorry, this delivery took me six months, but the fish is still alive. I lost your address, but I tracked you down, and here's the fish from your dead wife. See how easy that is? I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> well, well. Well, we'll I, find out next week, I guess. I guess we will. Say I goodbye, Scott Segler. Goodbye, Scott Segler. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.